Welcome to Afternoon Delight, an ongoing conversation about branding, leadership, and most importantly, love. I'm Jay Rendon in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Solomon in New York City. Eric. Hey, hey, Jay. How's it going? Excellent. I am so excited. This is our inaugural episode. It sure is. Yeah. I, I can't believe we're finally getting to do this. We've been talking about it for a long time and uh, excited to dive in. Let's do it. Uh, great. <laughs> Maybe the first thing we should do is actually tell people who the hell we are. <laughs> so why don't you give a little introduction, the short elevator ride introduction version, maybe. Uh, sure. Happy to. So I'm Eric Solomon, uh, based uh, in New York City, so across the coast from Jay. And uh, I'm currently the chief marketing officer in residence for Novio. Uh, before that, I spent about a decade or so in big tech working at Instagram, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. And before that, I was in the creative agency world for about five years. And prior to that, I got my PhD in psychology. So really, this is my you know fourth or fifth tour of duty at this point. I'm Jay. I'm a writer. <laughs> I, I guess I should get a little bit more detail on that. I'm uh, Jay Rendon. I'm a creative director and a writer by trade uh, at Novio. Also have a background in advertising and design and creative strategy going back a couple decades. And I am, as Eric said, on the West Coast, San Francisco, where I have lived my entire life. Beautiful. So, Eric, as we said at the top, we started a podcast. Why <laughs> did we do this? I mean, you know, it's aside from just wanting to hear our own voices, which I know has been a lifelong dream for you, Jay. This really just began as a conversation between us about what Novio is, you know, really how we see the world and how we see things, how we actually work, who we decide to work with, and how our really kind of diverse, unique experiences inform what we do for clients. I thought we were doing it to get rich, but that all that <laughs> stuff you mentioned stands as well. When we first met, the series of conversations we had were great. Um, you know, you and I have had fairly unique careers in some ways, given where we've netted out. Mm -hmm. And I think that has informed how we see an industry that, despite the fact people think of our industry is a cre the creative industry. Uh, it can be st uh, rather staid in a number of ways. And I think, you know, we both sort of felt, oh, we we found kindred souls when we met. And Absolutely. And shared a, a lot of the same ideas and philosophies and points of view, uh, but not all. Uh, and, and we thought we had really great conversations and said, hey, yeah, let's keep having these, but maybe we should, as I said, try and get rich by capturing them in a digital format. Exactly. So I think, you know, we're going to try to stick to doing this bi-weekly. And each week, we're really going to cover off a single topic that that lies directly at the heart of what we do and our pretty firmly held positions on those matters. Yeah, uh, we have planned this out for two people that do very little planning in our lives. We have planned <laughs> this out probably about six years into the future in terms of topics that we're going to cover. That said, um, we want to kick off each episode with something that caught each of our eyes and without a lot of planning, just sort of talk about, hey, I saw this. What did you think about that? Eric, and you happened upon an article uh, the other day that really kind of spoke to our hearts and a little bit maybe to our guts too. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have seen 
that article that was in the New York Times about how, once again, a, a stark reminder that the world is full of ads and a lot of those ads are noise and increasingly people hate advertising. And well, given that's what we have banked our profession on, uh, you can imagine a bunch of people have uh, really spurred up some thinking around this. So what were your thoughts on it? You know, it, it was funny because, uh, of course, when I was reading it, I was constantly head nodding and going, yep, yep, um, this plays into a lot, uh, really how and why we started Novio uh, to try and not just approach work differently, but approach how we uh, organize ourselves, how we uh, do the work that we do differently. So all of that struck me. But one other thing really struck me, and it's something that you know, this is an original thought. I will give due credit to the late, great uh, George Carlin, who had a similar uh, point of view. I noticed that a lot of the language in this article was picking up on the language of our industry. And what struck me was how riddled it is with language of conflict and warfare. They talk about launches and targets and campaigns and air cover and executions, station dominations. I mean, I think even the term call to action, mm. it really probably comes out of the phrase call to arms. And look, I, you know, I'm not saying there's causation here. I, I think it's, it's more just an observation. And a lot of it just has to do with how do you talk about logistics, which logistics are a big part of our industry as well. But that said, as a writer, I think about language and, you know, why we choose certain metaphors to describe how we feel and how to tell the stories that are important to us. And it just made me think, you know, maybe being a bit more careful about how we frame conversations with clients. I think that's a really interesting observation. And I haven't really heard that before. As you can imagine, my reaction was slightly different given that, you know, having worked at companies like Google and Facebook, I, I couldn't help but to feel a sense of responsibility that I'm one of the reasons why people hate ads so much, given that <laughs> Google and Facebook have been, you know, really responsible for the proliferation of digital advertising across the last decade or so. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my fair share of blame as well. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, Eric, uh, we have a main topic that we want to cover um, each week, and we thought we would start with something really simple, uh, a topic probably no one else has uh, ever thought to cover, uh, love. Oh, man. Yeah. Nobody's ever talked about that before. Yeah. We're really going uh, you know, into new territory. Wow. So love. What, what about love? You know, our name, uh, Novio, uh, is Spanish for boyfriend. And um, that was uh, on purpose. Uh, the idea of making a connection with someone is inherent in what we do, but it all also came out of who we do it for. Mm. And as my partner, Paul, and I started Novio, started thinking about what we wanted to do, it really came down to th there were three aspects and all revolved around the idea of love. The first, because Paul's a designer and I'm a writer, the first part of it obviously was the work. We love our craft. Mm. I studied poetry. Paul studied painting, I think, uh, during the Renaissance era. I'm sorry, <laughs> Paul. But in both of our cases, we, we derive a lot of meaning and purpose from, from our craft. 
that is paramount. We take what we do very seriously. It's kind of just great to hear that, uh, especially in this day and age where it's so easy to get jaded on professions, especially old professions like advertising, that there is still meaning and craft in it. Yeah. And, you know, look, the great thing about the transition to digital has meant that you can do things and do them again to improve upon them and get them right. The flip side to that is the stakes of getting it right the first time are much lower. And I write many drafts of anything I do, so uh, I understand and appreciate the iterative process. But I think that there is a different mindset that when you apply yourself with a lot of care and consideration and approach, you know, each brushstroke, each, you know, word as as if there was no going back, doing it with real intention. So, yeah, the first expression of love, at least from the standpoint of Novio, was, was definitely the work. That's just beautiful. I just, you know, I, I just have to say that's just beautiful. No. The, the second thing that we thought about was, not surprisingly, the people. Mm. And we've been very fortunate in our careers to have worked with super talented people. We often say that the really the key to success in really any industry is to hire people that are more talented than you are and then just get out of their way. Mm-hmm. You know, g- give them the, uh, the tools and the license to do what they do best. So – with Novio, we hire people that are not only really talented, but who we just have tremendous affection for. They really become a part of our family. And in mm. fact, because we we exist on a virtual model, everyone that works with us is a freelancer. But most of those people have been working with us for one, two, and in a couple cases, three decades. Wow. Um, and so these are people that when I say they're family, they, they really are. That puts a lot of pressure on me, Jay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. don't don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> but there is another side of that, which is the clients that we work with. And, and by this, I, I don't mean that we need to love uh, the individual, but love comes into play for us when thinking about who we want to work with, that we look for people who are extremely passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And not surprisingly, when you're focused on working with company leaders, be they CXOs, founders, uh, board members, you know, generally speaking, those people, most of them also are in it because they're excited by it for some, for some reason. There's some aspect of it that really energizes them. For, for myself, selfishly, it's, you know, I feed off of that passion. And so when we started Novio, we thought back at the times in our career where we had a client who was incredibly passionate. And we said, you know, let's, let's just find those people. That's so interesting, Jay, just especially given so much conversation these days around everybody needing to really have purpose in what they do. And it's hard to do that unless the people behind those organizations have purpose. And so I think it's great that, you know, we're able to find those people, identify those people and get to work with them. Yeah. And, and there's two, I see, main benefits that, uh, again, as a thinker and a, a creator uh, that I get from that. Um, the first is intimacy. Mm. When I find those people, and I because I'm so naturally 
curious uh, about what they're doing. And we find ourselves in a position where we get to ask questions that typically they don't get asked because we're asking not just about what their business goals are, but what their aspirations are. Hmm. That intimacy makes the work better. The other thing that it does is it invests in the client um, some ownership over the work because they feel rightly so that it came from them, that there's, you know, it, it, it was not a product of uh, some black box creative process. Well, I didn't believe you. I didn't believe you when you said that we were going to be talking about love, but here we are talking about intimacy and I can't think of anything more related to love than that. So, yeah. If we go any further, we're going to get uh, uh, an E rating on, on this podcast. Exactly. I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah. The last thing I will say is empathy. And this is important again for me as a writer, the ability to put myself in not just a customer's shoes, but an employee's shoes, a board member's shoes, a shareholder's. To put myself in those shoes makes the work better. It allows me the ability to write from and to their perspective at the same time. And I can really only do that if I empathize with them. Mm -hmm. And so that intimacy that then leads to empathy. And what I'm saying here is there's no big revelation in, in any of this, but oftentimes, you know, the truest things are, are also the, the most obvious. And, and in our case, you know, passion, intimacy, and empathy, uh, when we talk about the people part of the equation for us, those are really the, the key components. Yeah. And it's just refreshing because there are words that are not often associated with business. And so it's just great to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit different than air cover and bombardment. A little bit. Yeah. And then the third part for us is the heart. And when I talk about the heart of what we do, it's really uncovering that kernel, that foundational aspect of a brand's unique story. Every brand has a story. It doesn't matter if it's a B2B company, if it's a technology company, if it's a movie studio. Every brand at some level has a story. And it's always different. It's always unique to the people who have the passion, the, the leaders that have the passion. And we see our job as trying to uncover that. We don't come up with it uh, out of thin air. And in fact, um, I often liken myself more to an archaeologist than uh, a writer. Ooh. This company was started or somewhere along the way, there were people here that really believed in something. And that if we can tap into that, that becomes very powerful. Wow. That sounds like, I mean, it sounds incredible and it sounds like really hard work. Do you have an example of, of how you've gone about that? I do. It's, you know, uh, we have a line on our homepage, which is a truism, uh, one of our truisms, which is every story worth telling is a love story mm. at its heart. Um, and, you know, whether you're talking about the Greek myths or Fifty Shades and everything in between, <laughs> it, it, they're all love stories. And the, this story is a love story too. It also happens to be a ghost story. Mm. 
Mm. And it's the story of our engagement with Pete's Coffee. Now, if you don't know Pete's, they're actually the original second wave roasters. The uh, founders of Starbucks learned to roast coffee from Alfred Pete in Berkeley, California. Really? Really? I had no idea. Yeah. And then, and then they uh, moved up to Seattle and started their campaign for world domination. <laughs> but Pete's remained sort of a regional brand and slowly started growing across the West. When we worked with them, uh, they were wanting to expand onto the East Coast. And they approached us with a very tactical need. Part of their growth strategy hinged on entering new markets through grocery. And which, you know, is a tough place for a brand with low recognition to make a name for itself and 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 succeed. Mm-hmm. Especially when your product is twice as much than the competition, Starbucks. And Starbucks at the time was twice as much as anybody else. So it was a tough assignment. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what made it even tougher was their unique selling proposition. What they really wanted to go forward with was the freshness of of the beans. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets fresh brewed coffee. Fresh roasted coffee tastes best if you drink it as soon as the beans were roasted. And smaller than that window, the the better the coffee. In Pete's case, if they don't sell coffee within a 90-day window, they actually pull it from the shelves and throw it away. And in many cases, their competition, it takes them that long to get the coffee onto the shelves. Mm-hmm. They weren't 10% fresher or 50% fresher, but sort of by order of magnitude. But that too was like, I, you know, how do you explain that in a shelf talker? 100%. So what we understood really quickly when they approached us, we said, you have this pressing tactical need, but you really have a brand problem because people don't understand what Pete stands for. And if they don't understand what Pete stands for, then you're forced to play the game where you're just trying to speak your unique selling proposition louder than the next guy. Yeah. They agreed. And we started having conversations with people throughout the organization about (laughs) what Pete's was really about and, you know, what, what their story was really founded on. And as I said, I was born and raised here in the Bay area. So I knew of Pete's, but I didn't really know the story. And the first thing you need to understand about the Pete story is about Alfred Pete, uh, who passed away. He is the aforementioned ghost in this story. He had been not uh, around um, for many years, but there were still quite a few people at Pete's who had worked with him. And if you spoke to them about Alfred, they all had tremendous admiration for him and his accomplishments, his vision. But to a person, they all would say he was a difficult person to work with. Uh, We've all worked with a Pete. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because from a distance, we all love to admire those iconoclasts. <laughs> you know, we see those people like uh, Steve Jobs types and we think, wow. And Alfred really, you know, was cut from that same cloth. <laughs> he was so persnickety about every aspect of coffee. That word is so evocative. 
persnickety. Yeah, and it really, you know, uh, apropos uh, for for him, uh, I have uh, still uh, a photograph of his this black and great black and white photograph where you uh, has he has this expression. Um, it looks like he probably you know punched the photographer right after uh, they snapped the photograph, mm. but. He needed everything to be just so. It's his way or the highway, from the sourcing of the beans to the roasting of the beans to the grinding of the beans to the temperature of the water. Nowadays, of course, we take all that for granted, not just for coffee, but food culture finally caught up to where Alfred was in the late 60s. Right. That we really uh, understand and appreciate that level of obsession with ingredients and with process. But at the time, no one really understood that. And that dedication resulted in a better cup of coffee. And in fact, one one of the great things that we learned and really communicating to people is if you ever taste a cup of coffee and something about it is off, there's, it's a little bit bitter, it's flat, whatever it is, what you are actually tasting is compromise. Mm. Somewhere along the way, some corner got cut, some shortcut got taken. And compromise has this really distinct taste when it comes to coffee. <laughs> and so when we sat down to tell the Pete's story, not the Pete's grocery story, although it certainly influenced that work, what the Pete's brand was really about was an idealized cup of coffee, which we termed the uncompromised cup. Wow, yeah. And even though the line arose from a need to address a particular communications issue in the grocery aisle, the idea behind the line continues to serve them. In fact, many years after we had last worked with them, they called us back in, a completely new leadership team. And they presented the Uncompromised Cup back to us as a way of explaining how they think about uh, everything they do. For us, those are the kinds of foundational brand love stories we love to tell because they are so meaningful and so powerful. No, um, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. And, and I, I see, you know, we said we're going to be talking about love and to some extent there's no greater symbol of love than the idea of an uncompromised cup. That really was their Holy grail. I love it. Well, Eric, that's it, huh? That's it. That's the first episode in the can. Well, I, I, you know, I can't say how grateful I am for, for you sharing that story and for, for us being able to kick this off. And thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Adios. This has been Jay Rendon and Eric Solomon for Afternoon Delight, a Novio Brandcast. If listening to us has been indeed a delight, Please subscribe, review, and rate us on whatever podcast platform you're partial to. To make a connection, give us feedback, ask a question, even just say hi. You can email us at pod at novio.com, visit us at novio.com slash afternoon delight, or find us on Twitter at afternooner. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>